Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. When you have a, a healthy biblical men and women who are love the Lord, want to serve Him, a couple of men who are really committed to teaching, uh, you, you will see my experience in the places I've been, you will see growth. You will see the Lord working. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davies. Today we will listen to part three of our series with David Dunlap. We're talking with David about his upcoming book, No Little Places, Pour Your Life into Serving God in a Small Church. In today's podcast, we will look deeper into the benefits of a small church and some practical tips on how we can function well as a small growing assembly. A couple of the things, uh, and we'll, we'll end off with these last two points. Uh, uh, in a smaller assembly, similar to the stories that you've given and similar to our experiences, everything seems magnified. When things are great or when the Lord's done something, you see it. But then when there's problems, they're also magnified. You feel it. Um, in a smaller place, no doubt most people know if there's something wrong. So if you're a person looking at going to a, a smaller meeting, well, you can't just, you know, sneak into a service or not be there one Sunday and not be noticed. You're going to be noticed. And some people don't like that. Or when there are problems, it's tougher to deal with because everyone knows about them. So do you think the smaller meeting the idea that just invariably you're going to be made more accountable, your life is going to be a bit more vulnerable and out in the open. Is that a good thing? And if it is, why? Well, I think it's a good thing. I think being accountable, I think having someone come up to you and say, you know, uh, can you do this? Can you do that? We'd like to see you do this. Can you? Here's opportunities here. Here's opportunities there. And if you don't come, if you don't come for two weeks, we're going to call you or email you and uh, see how you're doing in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, um, are. We're going to do that. We say, we missed you. Or sometimes people will text me because they know I call them. We <laughs> <laughs> so can't come. You got family over or whatever it is. I said, that, I understand that, but we'll miss you. But we'll miss you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, one thing that, that we hear and, and all the times that I have served, I, I'm not a person I call them and tell them we appreciate them. I call them and tell them they miss. I call them, we love them, we appreciate them, we'll miss them. I never browbeat them. I never say, you haven't come, you, you only came one one time this Sunday. Um, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? You, you gotta be here, you're not here enough. Yeah, what's what, what's wrong? You've gotta be here, you know? It's yeah. it's bad for your Christian life, you know? You're a disappointment to the Lord, I, I don't know. Never do that, never do that. Someone's not coming, I say to that person or husband or wife, I say, let's go out for coffee. I just have fellowship with them. Uh, there was a man that missed uh, two, three men, three young men from our assembly. We missed this Sunday. All of them were not there, which is unusual. So I, it, it wasn't a big concern to me. But anyway, I decided, and for some time I was going to do this anyway, uh, we're going to have dinner with one of them. So I had dinner on whatever, Tuesday, with one of them. And we had a good talk, good fellowship. And he poured out a story about what, what the goal was. 
So the goal was one of the guys was new and he comes at 11 o'clock, but doesn't come to break into bread. The other guys are pretty regular at break, the, all the meetings. So the one man said, we have this idea. I feel like this one friend of ours, uh, they, they have a Bible study, three people in this Bible study. They meet sometimes at a restaurant. And uh, we just have been praying and wanting the one young new brother to come to the Lord's Supper. So he told me this whole story. So we decided we, we would go camping. And when we're at camping, us, all three of us would have a Lord's Supper. That's and uh, so he told his whole story. So now I could have come up to him and said to him, I said, you guys missed. Why, were you, why weren't you there? What happened? Or, you know, you guys, you, you got to, you can't miss. You got to be there. You know, I, we, we missed you and you weren't there. And what were you doing? And why did you miss? I, I could have done that. Or I could have just had fellowship with them. And I find out some interesting things. So there's reasons. So I don't exhort people in that way. You've been missing too much, doing too little, missing this, not doing that, not doing this or the other and so forth. I just have, I spend time with them. I fellowship with them. I invite them to our house for dinner. I, we go out to dinner, whatever. So I think that's an important thing um, of what we do in the small church. In, in times past, people were much more eager to be more aggressive in exhortation, but I don't think that's productive. I can go to a brother and say, you missed two weeks. I can be strong and exhortive to him. He'll come back the next week. I guarantee you he'll come the next week, but he might not come the week after or the week after that. When you don't reach his heart and you don't reach his heart with through love and through concern and, uh, and so forth, that's not good. You know, I was reading a book on preaching and the man who was doing the preaching said this, he said, the best way to reach someone you're preaching to is not by raising your voice, not by raising your voice and making a strong, strong, loud, de you know, declarative exhortation. But he said the best way to reach someone is with a slow, soft, slow, way of speaking, where you're emphasizing every word with pauses in them. He said, that's how you're going. I'd like you're talking to that person, but there's concern in your voice. Mm. That person is going to be more reached that way than by shouting at them. And I think that's true. So I, I think we get people involved. We talk with them and you'd be surprised as someone comes and I remember having a family come. It was a baptism. The man had come to, to break in a bread and his whole family. We had a friends from Israel speaker at that Sunday and we had a baptism afterwards. And he came and I said to him, would you close in prayer? He said, yeah, that was an encouragement. He said to me later on, he said, that was such an encouragement to me. He said, I'd been in a big church. I didn't like it. I didn't know where I was to go. I always just went home, stayed home said, I wanted to do something. I want to be involved. He said, when you said that to me, he said, I came thinking to myself, I'd like this to be a church where I can be involved. Mm. When you said, would you pray? He said, I was never asked that for six years. Never asked that once. One time being here, and that wasn't a big deal, wasn't a big thing, but he, he was vulnerable. He was held accountable. And now does everybody, did he come every single Sunday, never miss? No. Right. But he became active and, and committed 
and he was a big impact, and he was a big, big part of our work. Now, sometimes people leave. They don't like that. And I, there are people in our assembly will tell me, they'll say, I don't like to pray. Don't ask me to pray. Uh, I don't like it. I, I, I don't do well. But those same people like to do other things that others don't like to do. They're usually guys who like to use their hands, fix things, fix refrigerators, fix uh, things that are broken, see things that need to be fixed and fixing them without us asking them. Uh, so, um, so they do other things. So, so we go to them and they fix things and they're happy to do that. There's a smile on their face, fixing things. They love to fix things and, yeah. and serve the Lord in that capacity. So that's okay. Not everybody is going to be a prayer and a preacher and, and, but we find a job for them. And some people don't like to be asked, but I find most people, if you find their niche, you find what they can do. And in the past, the only thing people could do is spiritual work. But I have found that a lot of practical things. People love to do that. Other people can do some of the spiritual work. And they're happy for others to do the spiritual work. They come to the meetings. They enjoy the meetings. uh, They benefit from them. But it's not that they're not interested in spiritual things. But they're just uncomfortable with the public setting and uh, so forth. So, but not everybody. Some people are going to leave because they don't like the fact that they can't be anonymous in the back row. We don't have a back row hardly. Uh, uh, So the back row is actually filled for babies and young mothers and young families. So they can't go to the back row. Uh, They're going to have to go somewhere else. Well, so. I think you, you bring up a point, and I think you, this is kind of a scene in what you said about the small church in New Jersey. Is It comes down to leadership who are invested enough in the people to identify what, identify what God's put in their heart to do and help them see that. Um, yeah. I've been looking a bit at um, Nehemiah. There's a really interesting contrast when uh, they find... Uh, Nehemiah comes in and finds out that the the Jewish leaders have been basically forcing their own people to mortgage their lands, forcing their own people into slavery. They're actually selling them into slavery. Yeah. And you almost see in that chapter like a contrast between godly leadership and poor leadership. Nehemiah comes in and said, I've, I've basically given my life to free these people mm-hmm. so that they can enjoy being in you could say enjoy being in the promised land like because the, they, they weren't. They were starving. And then you had the leadership who took advantage of the people and exercised their power to keep them in bondage. Yeah. So you have this idea in the church. I think it's the same. You, you could beat them down. You can you can hold power. You can lord over the people or you can, especially in a church uh, that's smaller. If you don't if you don't love the people, that becomes obvious very, very quickly. Yeah. And. People will attend a small church, but nobody wants to attend a small church where they're going to beat up every Sunday for what they are are not doing. And they and it's not clear to them that the leadership even loves them. Um, it's hard to stay there. So just lastly, we've spent a, a great deal of time. This has been great. But let's say we have somebody you've you've partially answered this already. So if, if you have anything to add to it, it'd be great. But somebody who's listening, who is in a, a struggling assembly, maybe a smaller assembly. What encouragement would you give them? Um, maybe they feel like it's hopeless. Maybe the leadership doesn't have the mindset that 
uh, of the church you're talking how can we encourage those people, and does the Bible have any insights uh, to help in situations like that? Well, you'd have to look at the church. There are assemblies that if I moved into the area, I would not go to. I, I just wouldn't go if I had the choice. In some cases, and I've done this, you start a new work. report yourself in something new. It's better to start something new sometimes you got to make a proper evaluation than to be in something that's that's just not going anywhere and don't want to go anywhere. And you've got to be flexible. I think leadership's got to be flexible. They have to um, want to use new people. They have to want to mentor. They have to want to go somewhere. They, have to, they don't want to stay the same. Some people want to stay the same. Some people don't want new people. I've had people say, we don't want any new people here because new people bring problems. <laughs> you might bring problems too, and you're not yeah. a new person. Uh, it's true. Yeah, but our, our, that's not how we should think. Um, so some people just don't want to go anywhere. So there's you, you do a real evaluation of why it's struggling. It can be struggling for various reasons. So you have to weigh that out and, uh, and, and think about it. And I have been in struggling assemblies, and I poured myself into that. And I felt like, yes, it's struggling, but I felt like it's a place where the Lord can work. Mm. So <clears throat> if it's a place where the Lord can work, I think there's a number of things you can do. I think one of them is should be just one person can do this. You mentor and disciple one person, two people, three people. Have a study of people your age with three or four people. We have that right now with uh, some new people have come and they meet together and they do things. Uh, they go hand out tracks and they have Bible study. We had a man come on a Wednesday night, two weeks ago. And I talked to him, he just moved to the area from Jacksonville. And I said, uh, how'd, you, how'd you come? He said, I met these three guys at Panera and they were having a Bible study in the book of Romans. <laughs> and so, so that's good. Three people like that can touch somebody's life. He was impressed by it to come out to a church. And now that was all local. See, the, the Panera is about uh, a fifth of a mile from our church building. So it's so close. Uh, it's so easy to come. So I would do that. I would mentor someone. I would mentor some people and slowly work with a small group of people and uh, see those people come out, see them saved. We had a situation. You never know what's going to happen. We had a little kids club, very little kids club on an afternoon. And we picked up a girl. We had been picking up a girl in our, our neighborhood for a long time. So we picked her up. There were three. She was in a, a boy. And uh, the father came one day to pick up the kids from the church. He got home from work early. And uh, so they sat down in another chair. And he sat down to, with me and he said, can you tell me how to be saved? Okay, that's about as easy as you can possibly get. Mm. We sat there, led him to salvation. His wife his daughter, uh, I'm sorry, his wife and himself and his three kids, they all came out to the chapel and they all got baptized. You never know what's going to happen when you work in a, in, in a certain situation. So that was great encouragement to that local work. They hadn't seen anybody saved uh, in probably years or baptized in years. So some things you can do, I think you'd be flexible. Somebody comes in, doesn't wear a head covering, sits down, loves a meeting. What do you do? 
you slap a head covering on her head? No, we don't do that. We don't do that. Maybe some places do. That's a number one way to get rid of somebody, I think. <laughs> but let them come. And then we hopefully we go and talk to them and I say, are you growing here? Do you have any questions? I get together with you. Invariably, when we get together, the head covering is going to come up. Yeah. She, she saw it. She's not blind. <laughs> she saw it. Uh, wasn't sure what it was. And you'd be surprised the kind of stories that you have and some positive and some not so positive. So, but you want to see them growing. The head covering second or third. You want to see them growing. Now, we have about 95% of people on our assembly wear head coverings. About 5% don't. And we let them. We let them go. We want to see them growing. They tick off all the 19 boxes, but they didn't tick off 20. Right. And that's the head covering. So in some cases, they don't help with youth work and other things. And that's great. And someday, of the new people that come, probably most people will wear the head covering in time. And that's what's happened. Sometimes they don't come right away to break into bread. That's okay. But they're handing out tracts, inviting people to Land O'Lakes Bible Chapel. I, you know, they feel like that's their group. Yeah, yeah. They don't take off all the boxes yet. You're flexible. You don't walk up to them, and they've been coming for two months to 11 o'clock and say, you should be here next Sunday. You, you work with them. You're patient. You're patient with them, and you're flexible with people. People miss. You're flexible, but they come back. I remember one of the key families that we had contact with that they um, they came for a while and then they missed for about a month. We missed them. And we thought they were going to go somewhere else. And they came back. They came back and they came back stronger and they came back more faithful. Whatever happened, I don't know. They never told me. But you're just patient. You, you, you always tell them that you're, you're happy to see them. We miss you when you're not here. And, and the Lord works in their lives. So I think you got to be flexible. And you'll find people want to be there but they might struggle with a couple of things. I know a family that left because we did not have a full-time pastor. Now, I liked this couple. It's an older couple. In fact, I had breakfast with him last week. He's going to a larger church. He liked the church, like Land Lakes like Bible Chapel in many, many, many ways, but they were raised where there was a pastor. So sometimes they do leave. Um, other times, uh, that I can count the times that people have said that to me on my one hand. Most of the time, that's not the case. When there's good teaching, it's loving, it's caring, they're sincere, messages are prepared uh, well and delivered well, I see people staying. If you are gonna come through the door of a small church, you are expecting a small church. Mm-hmm. You're not expecting a mega church. You're not expecting, you're expecting a small church. There's a reason why you walk through those doors. And so, or you're invited and the reason you've come and uh, so there's something you're looking for there. And I think if you can have the teaching and the worship and the fellowship and the, um, just all the things. So there's a number of things I, I've just mentioned here for those who are in a struggling assembly. Mentoring and discipleship, we should see more of that. Good teaching on Sundays and Wednesdays. When there's poor teaching, that's a number one death, death null to a church. Got to have strong teaching. And you've got to think of ways every Sunday when that new person comes, got to have pretty good teaching. And I think generally assemblies do have that, but you have to watch if you don't. And I think you should do it yourself. 
I don't think you should lean on someone every Sunday to come in and do the teaching for you. You need doing the teaching. And there's something called spiritual authority. Spiritual authority comes when you have men, I should think all the elders should have that, all the, that they are preaching and people are growing and people seeing you as an authority figure in the word because of your teaching. And then when there's a problem, they're not gonna come to someone who never says anything at the chapel. They're gonna come to the spiritual people. They're gonna come to you. And so you can't, you can't farm out your teaching to somebody else. You should have it inside the chapel. How many Sundays a year would you get this is kind of a side topic, but how many Sundays a year would you say you guys have people come in as opposed to using people inside the assembly? It varies. It may go into spurts, but I'd say uh, once every uh, six months to uh, two months, once every two okay. months. And then what what would you say? Um, so if you are a smaller assembly, if you do you get afraid of using the same two or three guys a lot? Well, in the beginning, we used some. We used about three guys, and we did have some outside speakers. But still, we used those same guys, and they preached maybe six to ten times a year. And I probably preached twenty-five times a year, um, and we covered probably forty-five Sundays or something, or forty-two or something like that. Now we have more people. And we spread it out more. So the elders will do bulk. We have others doing it. And so we'll cover, you know, we'll, we'll cover um, 40 to 45 messages a, a year. And that's Wednesday. So we have messages Wednesday night. A brother will preach Wednesday night uh, and take questions and input. Uh, preach Sunday morning. And we have a men's class, which you're speaking to 30 men or so, or 40 men. And you are doing some leading but you probably teach for about 10 or 15 minutes and then open it to questions and so forth Mm. so we're covering uh, 150 messages roughly by those three different meetings that we have a week and that's not counting youth work youth meetings and you know all those other kinds of things that you might have um so you build on it you didn't have all of that right away and but we've built on that over time uh, we always had the, we have always had those three meetings from the very beginning. We didn't have in the second, the men's meeting, we'll call it the men's Bible study. We didn't have someone speaking as long. It was much, just all discussion, but it's grown yeah. to be a little more teaching and discussion. Uh, but we always had a teacher. I always, I felt the thing about assemblies that are the, and sometimes weakest is their teaching especially Wednesday night. Sunday night, Sunday morning could be better. Wednesday night usually was very bad. Uh, a lot of places years ago, they pull out an Emmaus correspondence course and, and just read the verses and just, is it answer A, is it B, is it C, or is it D? Okay, next question. Is it A, <laughs> B? And that was if it was good. Then you have somebody who would go on a, a rant and go on a, off off topic and... So it, it wasn't good. So we have worked, and I think we've worked that we have good teaching. Now, what we've done on Wednesdays, we do a variety of things. We right now have been doing three weeks on Wednesdays of testimonies, two testimonies a night. Two brothers share their testimony. Ones we know, people have known for a long time, 
share their testimonies. And it's been great. There's been a lot of tears uh, in our eyes and in their eyes as they share their testimony, how they got saved. And everyone is different. Everyone is interesting. So we're going to do that. And we're going to take a break. We're going to have one more this Wednesday. I think a break from that. We show videos. We have missions nights four or five, six times a year. Uh, we have a brother from South America who's with us. He's an elder. And he leads us in missions nights. He will write to missionaries. He asks for photographs from their town. He'll make a PowerPoint. We will read letters. We will pray. And we invite, we involve six, seven, eight men to read letters, to pray for them, learn about, see a PowerPoint, learn more about it. And occasionally we use uh, the internet to bring a missionary in for five minutes, say something, or 20 minutes from South America. We do that. So we have missions nights have been very popular. So we do a, a variety of different kinds of things. Um, and missionaries that come in, a lot of times they speak on, on Wednesday nights. But I think we could, we get a good attendance. We can get 40 people out on a Wednesday night. And that would be, that's probably pretty good. Um, yes. Children sure. come out, children come, adults come, and people stay afterwards for 30 minutes. So you know it's something good if they can stay that long afterwards. Yes. So I strive to do that. So when people come on a Wednesday, they're coming to something good. If you, if that goes down in quality, you're going to lose, you're going to find people not coming out. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have these Bible studies that are, are by zoom or one to two in a restaurant or, uh, you know, that kind of thing that also happened during the week. So I would say that's very key. Good Bible teaching. I've been places that are small and you look at their teaching and it's not unbiblical, but it's just not well presented. And it's it's a lack of it's being a little lazy. Now, you can be small. You can do things because you're small in little shorter amounts of time. You don't have to in your Wednesday night, but you can go 15 minutes. But you got to be in the word. And then other people see that and new people that come and they want to be a part of that. And you're attracting through spiritual authority, you're attracting other people. Say, I want to be somewhere where they're serious about the Bible. You won't get anyone. If they're not serious about the Bible, they'll gravitate towards the big church. But if they're serious about the Bible, they'll come to the little church. And partly because they want to serve. And partly when they hear the word and they hear your sound. If they don't hear your sound, they might even think they can take over the church. But when they hear your sound, you know, you won't see some of the hobby horses the Calvinism or something else coming in to the local church because you have three or four or five men with spiritual authority. They're sound in the word. You preach on a regular basis. Uh, we try to get our elders to preach on a regular basis um, and others to preach on a regular basis. I think there should be children's outreach. I think we should use new people. I think we should be flexible. I think we should be patient. And I think lastly, we should explore a contemporary music along with traditional hymns. So we do that. We use some um, contemporary songs that are good songs, uh, but good worshipful, good words, contemporary songs. And I have a, I've had young people come to me and say, I come here because of that. I like that. We had a brother give his testimony last, uh, last Wednesday. Been in assemblies all his life, raised in assembly. He left as a young man and married with kids. He left the assembly that he was a part of for years. He said, he said something like this. I never liked singing 
when I was at that assembly. Never liked it. He told us to turn to, uh, to Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. And he said, when I came here, he said, I learned to love to sing. Now, not that we are a big singing assembly, but we do have some contemporary songs. He said, this assembly has put a song in my mouth. He said, I love to sing. I think we, it's good to get to a place where we love to sing, where the assembly is singing out. If you can, use more instruments if possible. We have a couple of sisters that play violin along with the piano. Um, it's a good sign to see full-hearted, full-throated uh, people singing to the Lord. Yeah. It's a good thing. So I think those things are key. And I think those are healthy things, and we work on those, and there's other things too, but those are the basics. And I think we'll, when you have a, a healthy, biblical men and women who are love the Lord, want to serve him, a couple of men who are really committed to teaching, uh, you'll, you will see, in my experience, in the places I have been, you will see growth. Mm-hmm. You will see the Lord working. Now, sometimes you're down to five people and they're very old, you know, it's probably going to shut down unless you get a, an infusion of a number of families that are ready to work. But in those cases, that struggling assembly has to be willing to say, in my case, my case, they were ready to say, Dave, basically, you can do whatever you want. You know, and I, I wasn't somebody bringing crazy ideas, although I did bring a couple of crazy ideas uh, in to be honest, but they didn't say no. They never said no. Something that I think has to be worked on is you have to move forward with um, no generation can be left behind in a, in a successful church or mm-hmm. um, can be set aside. So yeah. even if you have an assembly where there are younger people and, and it is exciting, you can't forget the elderly either. There's so much to be learned in that intergenerational mixing that um, if you cater towards one or the other, then I think you miss something. These yes. have all been uh, really good things that we've been able to go over today. Uh, just encouragements for us to at Turner. And these topics uh, mean a lot to us because we're kind of in the throes of, we have a very great mix of uh, younger to older. And so it's, uh, we're in a great, in a great position to work hard, see the Lord work. And I, Besides us at this church here, this is going to be a great encouragement to those who would listen. So thanks so much for the time you've taken this morning and the work you're doing, plotting away on this book. We're anxious to see it come out and and read it. But David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been been a pleasure being here. Let me just close in prayer, I guess. Sure. Close in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time together. And Father, we thank you for what you want to do. You want to use little things so you get the most glory. You love using little things and uh, doing great works. And so, Father, we pray we can be a part of that. You can use us to be a a small part of all that. And so we pray this. We thank you for this time together. We pray you use it. Whoever would listen to it, may it be be an encouragement to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the TRBC Podcast. Turner Bible Chapel is located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. You can find us online at trbc.ca. We hope that this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ.